Anybody want to do a quick feral improv feral audio go to the button thing at the top? Actually, we're doing it right now, aren't we? Yeah, just go to feralaudio.com. Yeah. We're on the Feral Audio Podcast Network. Hit the button for Amazon yeah. shopping and support buy, the artists. Buy the shit through Amazon and all yeah. the artists get money. Yeah, let's start the podcast. Whoa, you hear that? Certainly do. Yeah, you remember this, guys? You remember this, fellas? Sounds, sounds pretty sultry. Yeah, let's take the way back machine. Oh, go way okay. back to episode one. How young were we then, guys? Right? Bright eyed, bushy tailed, flutter tongued. I was still in my 30s. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't even six months ago, guys. Relax. 22. Like, we, don't this, we don't have a great legacy with this podcast. <laughs> We're only on episode 22. We haven't even run, come close to running out of states yet. Oh, <laughs> man, don't remind me. All right, well, we're here in uh, One of the Living by Tina Turner. This is my suggestion to D- JD, mostly because of one sexed-up sax man. Was it me? It was my Steve. My ears were burning, Hunter. Because of Steve. <laughs> but there was something else. Behind the dumb dick jokes was an animal attraction to songs about conflicts of love. Such savagery. Such, such sexy grays. No hand-holding, just fighting and surviving. But that was yesterday. Today, we've matured and our dick jokes are far more complex. And we realize that it takes a village and possibly a Jay Graydon. Jay fucking Graydon? Woo! Possibly a Jay Graydon to make a song. And the mayor of Songtown is the writer. Whoa, whoa, hold on. You just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long time, fellas. One, 100% of hit songs have been written. Think about that. Wow. See, this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. This is how we've matured. So today, I bring you this mayor of Songtown, the true voice behind One of the Living, and other fucking fantastic songs just like it. I bring you 2013 Songwriter Hall of Fame inductee, Holly Knight. Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock Podcast. This is the podcast where we invent genres, count them down, and then you can enjoy them. Uh, My name is J.D. Riznar, and I am a male. Hollywood Steve. Hi, my name is Hollywood Steve Huey. I am also a male. I'm David Lyons. I identify with the male gender, and I prefer the pronoun he. Gender. 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 It's like it's like a thunderous gender. <laughs> and I'm Hunter. Good old. And you're Hunter. the captain this week. I'm Hunter. the captain today. But we'll get to your songwriter Holly Knight, who's fantastic. First, we're gonna throw a bone to all you yacht rock fans out there because boy, yacht rock music is awesome and worth talking about every week. Dave, what do we got? Oh, we got a good one today, fellas. I actually heard this on the radio on the way here. Uh, but this is George Benson, Turn Your Love Around. And after four kind of half-assed bone throws, I thought I'd uh, put in a little work. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, before you get into the story of this song, mm-hmm. can I talk about George Benson for a little bit? Let's do it. George, he was an important figure in Yacht Rock. He's, he's a guitarist. We used a song, Breezin', for the uh, theme. We did, we did. Um... Uh, 
but he, he's a guitar player. He wasn't relegated to the session status like hacks like Jay Graydon. He's <laughs> what? <laughs> That's oh, not, hey, you're talking about Jay fucking Graydon. Hey, this is, I'm trying to put in perspective. Watch your mouth, son. I'm trying to put in perspective. All right, hear him out, guys. Hear him out, guys. This is how great Maybe George Benson was. Maybe he'll come back. This is how great George Benson was. He makes Jay Graydon look like he's less than a man because George Benson was able to take his jazz guitaring and turn it into a pop music career. Um, he's crazy smooth in all the right ways. His music's cool and jazzy with just the right bounce. He's 80% pop jazz, or pajazz, as I like to call it. But when he goes full pop, it's usually Yacht Rock. Or Yacht Soul. Yes. One of the two. Um, but he also came to pop music from jazz. Like He was a, a, a good hard bop and soul jazz guitarist before he started to cross over in the late 70s. Yeah, he got signed to the, to the Warner Brothers label, which is the Doobie Brothers label. Brothers be signing brothers and brothers. Yeah, hey. George hey. Benson's African-American black. Thanks for doing so much to help me with my <laughs> bone throat, fellas. Listen, I just want to get through who he was before you tell the story because it makes the story better. And and he just he just beat down Jay Graydon, but Jay Graydon turned it around and helped write the song. Boom! Now we can listen to the story. All right. The song was written by Jay Graydon, Bill Champlin, and Steve Lukather. All mm. friends of ours. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, good, good, and this is one of those friends. songs that they needed some new songs for a Greatest Hits album. Wow, I just guess. like Eddie Money last episode. Exactly. They needed to round it out. I guess George Benson had needed some filler. But they came in with a killer. Um, now, there's some controversy over how it was written. Allmusic.com says Turn Your Love Around was written for the purpose of adding a new track to The Greatest Hits. That part's correct. Uh, but they approached the songwriter Jay Graydon to write some songs. With two days before the deadline, Graydon got an idea while having dinner with Steve Lukather, who came up with the verse. No. This no. is not true. No. Dave, now, tell us about Jay We Graydon's. all know that AllMusic.com has a tendency to hire some real wackos and perverts to write music reviews. Yeah, you, just because you're jealous of my creative erotic imagination doesn't, uh, mean you, doesn't mean you have to disparage my former employer. And it seems at least this one time they got the story wrong. <laughs> Tell, tell us about his songwriting process. The real story. Jay Graydon wrote this song while he was taking a shit. Oh! Hey. No. As Graydon tells the story... Jay Poopin'. Turn Jay, Your Love Jay Around. Jay Poopin' Graydon! Turn Your Love Around was a gift, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. He was in the bathroom when he came up with the melody, and he was sitting down, if you get his drift. Oh, this is from an interview. Oh, this is. He says, well, I got off the can as fast as I could and got to a cassette machine so I wouldn't forget it. George Benson was coming to town Tuesday, so I had four days to come up with a song and was getting nothing. And then, bang, just came up with this melody when I was in the bathroom. Then Luke, that's what thats what we call Steve Luke up there. Uh, yeah, good old Luke. Yeah. Uh, came over and he, and Jay Graydon jumped in the shower. I'm assuming to clean <laughs> off the shit. Because getting he, off the pond as fast as you can means no wiping. Yeah. No brains right. pulling off. I thought he called it the can. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the next day they called Bill Champlin and he said, Bill, get over here. We need a lyric and we need a bridge. Let's get this doing done. And that's how Turn Your Love Around came about. They, uh, they met George the next day. He loved it. It became a big hit for him. Jay fucking Graydon. Do you think? Do you think that maybe uh, the original writer got the story wrong because Jay Graydon did other interviews where he said dinner instead of pooping just for decorum's sake? 
Maybe. Yeah, if it was Cosmo, I don't know. You'd want I would classy. You wouldn't want to be like. Oh yeah, it was uh, over uh, dinner. Well, eating food is part of the process. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that's yeah, the beginning push, of digestion. You got to push out those creative. Or maybe, somehow. maybe he just was eating some curry on the toilet. <laughs> Together. Yeah. With Steve. With Luke. Hey Luke, get in here. <laughs> I mean curry and pooping. Have dinner with me. I got a song idea. You know, it's a myth that curry makes you poop. It's only if you have a weak stomach. Um, so, oh, oh, you're always defending curry, Steve. Yeah. It's delicious. Seriously. It's the greatest thing ever invented by mankind. Oh, but, uh, so say you like us talking like this, you know, having these funny chit-chats. You like to listen on your little iPod, uh, talking to us, uh, listening to us talk. Imagine uh, hearing it live in person. <gasps> we Holy can do that? Fuck. We're going to do this podcast live on um, July 23rd at 4 p.m. Happy Hour Podcasting at the Whistle Stop Bar in San Diego during Comic-Con. So make your trip down to San Diego. Uh, check us out. We're gonna we're gonna listen to "Celebrate Me Home" by Kane Loggins. Have a little uh, Beyond Yacht Rock record club. Yep, track yeah. by track. We're going track by track. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be great. Yeah. It's gonna be hot. Gonna record it live. Put it on the podcast. Um, so let's talk about Holly Knight. Yay! Let's do it, guys. Hunter, I have a question. When you said at the beginning, you mentioned sexy grays. Yeah. Are you talking about like Christian gray? Are you talking about Fifty Shades of Grey? What are you talking about, sexy gray, the sexy grays of like, Holly Knight? Okay, so Holly, well, I'll get into it, but Holly doesn't live in a black and white world. Oh, she lives okay. in a gray world, and it's a sexy gray. There's nuance and ambiguity. Sexy, yes, shade of gray. I see, okay. It's about the push and pull of relationships. Mm, the yin and yang. Yes, it's the middle. All right. It's a punching the lady in the face while you're fucking her. <laughs> That's right? a sexy gray? Yeah. Huh. Uh, I guess it's a wrong book. There oh, are oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess there really are Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's the third. So uh, none, none of this is about Holly Knight. Well, it kind of was about Holly Knight. Um, but I'm going to try to do her justice tonight, Holly Knight. Uh, make up dumb genres and say a bunch of dumb words and do a bunch of dumb things. And the worst that can happen is a Norwegian witchcraft band curses the left fielder of your favorite baseball team. Huh? Allegedly. You know, Hex Vessel. That's a deep, that's a deep reference. That is, yeah. Wait, Hex Vessel liked that episode. Oh, I thought they, uh, I thought they ruined no, they, your, your no, club's they, no, left fielder. No, they, Hex Vessel has nothing to do with Kyle Schwarber's knee injury. Oh. All right, all right to catch, catch you all up, we did an Easy Awakening episode with this band called Hex Vessel, and then they contacted us on Twitter, and then they insulted somebody on somebody's favorite team. Okay. They did? I don't know. I don't know. I don't no, know what's no, happening. They they Holly liked, Knight! They liked the episode. They Holly were, Knight! They were, they were grateful to be mentioned. Holly Knight! Gwitty and Pender. Steve! Holly Knight! So Holly Knight... stop yelling. We're trying to talk about Holly Knight. But Holly Knight's <laughs> not a genre. It's a, She's a person. So I'm going to try to keep the sillies to a minimum, and I'm failing. Shake out the sillies. I'm too late. Shake out the sillies. I'm failing miserably. So let's just... I'm just going to try to straightforward present her great body of work. Okay, let's get serious, guys. Welcome to Hunnell State University. All right, so oddly enough, uh, Holly Knight, quick story, Holly Knight's on my radar because my wife took a photography class with her. Oh, and, interesting. And my wife came back and she said, you know this Holly Knight? I said, no. I looked up a couple songs. I saw Kiss. I said, awesome. That's great. The internet barely existed back then. Not really, but it's much better right now. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't do my research. This is why I do my research now, because I didn't realize how awesome she was. And after that moment, I kept having these, oh, shit. My wife took a photography class with this lady. She wrote this amazing song that I love. 
So right now we're hearing one of those Oh Shit songs. Well, kind of. This is Spider. I don't know if you've ever heard this. This is Holly Knight's nope. first band. Is this um, her singing? Yes, this is. Okay. No, 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 no. Oh, it's, it's not, not her singing. She was a. She was a. Um, she was the keyboardist, primary songwriter. Um, she, uh, the drummer was Anton Fig from the David Letterman. Oh, okay. Band, if you know him, well, the name of the song was "New Romance." It's a mystery. Um, thing about Holly Knight is uh, she wrote a lot of. She collaborated a lot. She wrote a lot of songs with other people, unlike Diane Warren. She likes to she likes to collaborate. Many of her songs are about conflict, mostly between uh, relationships. So it's through that collaborative process that she really brings it out. She said she likes bouncing ideas back and forth, being competitive, inspiring, better look lyrics and catchier hooks. Yeah, when I listen to Holly Knight songs, I hear a theme of pain with your pleasure. It's, it's two people involved, and she evokes like a a fighting past, like war and violence, but with with great. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna start to read your thing. I started to read your thing in That's the script. Okay. He'll yell Let at you. Let the conversation uh, flow, no, guys. It's fine. It's but fine, I forgot. Guys. I had to. This is what I wanted to say: is that like you can't have glory without a good fight. There's a bit of sadomasochism in her in her music as well. Sadomasochism. Uh, Sado, the way I do it, <laughs> with the narrators seeming to take pride in the suffering uh, or the dealing pain to their partners. And I have to try this sadomasochism. <laughs> and and every and every song. Every song is like it's almost like a war, or at least this sort of this sort of planning of the art of war. It's like a chess match. So you're gonna hear that in a lot of her songs. It's like Sun Tzu. Yes. Uh, so she really found her voice after Spider, and that's this band that we're hearing right now. This is Device. When she was writing with uh, Mike Chapman, um, who is Holly's mentor. Mike Chapman was an Aussie glam rocker who wrote hits for The Sweet, Mud, Susie yeah. Quattro, and even a little song called Kitty by Racy. Wow. And we found out who wrote yep. that. I knew yeah. we were wondering. Yeah, that, that's Holly's mentor. Um, yeah, and so this is Device. This is when... Uh, this is when Holly was really starting to find her voice as a as a writer, um, and device is named because it was a device to get their songs out there. So it wasn't they weren't looking for a star making rock star thing. They just wanted people to hear that. Listen, we can write. They're basically good a songs. glorified demo band. Sure, a little bit way. better produced, but yes, yeah, similar. Um, and as you can hear from the first Spider one was straight more rock. This is a little more complex. It's got that modern 80s style, and that's where she, her wheelhouse really sort of took off is in that 80s period. So, any other questions? I mean, we're going to talk about this stuff when we go through her songs. I think that's a pretty good primer of a Highland Night, so let's get into it. I'm excited. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. All right, guys, I'm, we're going to ease into it. It's going to have a smooth transition into Holly Knight. Oh, this yeah, is, a little foreplay. Yeah, this is uh, 1988's Baby Me by Chaka Khan, and which she wrote with Billy Steinberg, who's an amazing songwriter in his own right, penning such classics as Like a Virgin and True Colors. Mm. This uh, slow R&B burner didn't make the Billboard Top 100. It was number eight in the R&B charts. So if you listen to The Quiet Storm in 1988, you probably remember this song. I mean, before audience, before you start thinking, oh, this song sounds boring, Holly Knight is terrible, uh, <laughs> I want you to realize that we're starting off by setting a very low bar right here. Uh, lowering Expectations 101 is a very popular class in Hunnell State University, uh, and you have to pass the low bar to get in. 
things are only going to get better. Things are only get better from here. That's why it's only number ten. I'm easing into it. Yeah. I don't want to rock too hard at the t- at the beginning, because yeah, like you said, you set that bar too high. So we're easing into yeah. it. I want you to listen to lyrics. I want you to hear about babying me. This is this is a this is a, this is a uh, a female telling her male lover that I will stick with you, but you gotta be good to me. And so there's there's always there's there's a string attached. There's 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 a push and pull to the relationship. Well, it's it's all, not fully healthy. It's yet. also this is big in Holly Night. It's a woman standing up for herself. Yes. Don't treat me like shit, you garbage person. I love you. And and being very uh, accepting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like she's willing to put up with this guy's bullshit if he treats her right. But she can only get pushed so. And far. That's what love is all about: is putting up with other people's bullshit if they treat you right. It's a very realistic look at love, unlike Diane Warren, which is very idealistic. Yeah. Yeah, this song uses a lot of infant imagery, which is weird. But Yeah, uh, that is weird. <laughs> but it's there. It's there. So it's a way to write a song. I love drinking bottles and pooping in my pants. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Yeah, so this you know, is... I originally thought, up until I started researching this, that Shaka Khan was a band and not a person. Yeah. And, but that's why I came to Hunnell State yeah. to learn. <laughs> the first time I ever heard of Shaka Khan was in the a Saturday Night Live sketch in the 90s, that Black Wayne's World called I'm Chillin' with Chris Rock and Chris Farley. Yeah. And Chris Rock had this joke, I haven't had that much fun since I was breastfed by Shaka Khan. And I'd never heard of Shaka Khan, but I thought, well, this Shaka Khan must have large breasts. And you know what? I was right. And I got the joke, and the, the yeah. taught me something about pop culture. That Look, Shaka Khan has big boobs. Look at them and, comedy instincts right yeah. now. Yeah. And by the way, your uh, Chris Farley was spot on. Yeah, that was my Chris, yeah. That was, Chris that was your Chris Rock. No, no, that was absolutely my Chris Farley. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, my Chris Rock is like this. It's like this. White people be talking like this. Hello, I'm white Chris Rock. See, that's why I wanted yeah. to ease into it. Yeah. So we can get this get this out of us. <laughs> There's a difference between black people and African American people. White that's people Chris- be walking like this. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right, this, can we get back to this song a little bit? <laughs> it, it's, it's okay, but it, it yeah. feels like... It feels like quite kind of generic quiet storm where like it's good atmosphere, it's a good vibe, a good feeling, but it's maybe not the most memorable thing in the world. Like I might have to listen to this five or six times before it really sinks in. Yeah, but quiet storm is a fun genre to sing an empowering song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, let's take yeah. It, let's take it up a notch. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Number yeah, nine. A little more rocking. Yeah. This is uh, why is this number nine? This is a huge hit. This is Ragdoll by it's, Aerosmith. It's still Aerosmith. Oh yeah. I mean, this is this is two weeks in a row, guys. Pretty good Aerosmith, though. I would. It say. is. It is. I actually, uh, you know, I'm not a big Aerosmith fan, but when they hit it, they hit it good. Yeah. They hit it well, and they they do very well on this. Good job, fellas. And. <laughs> And so, so the reason you guys hit Dave right. So the reason why this is number nine is because this isn't a full Holly song, Holly Night song. This is one where uh, the co-writers, uh, Joe Perry, Steven Tyler, along with song doctor Jim Valance, already had the song, but it died in surgery, and Holly had to come in and save it. And basically, she came in, 
and changed the name from Ragtime to Ragdoll. <laughs> Perfect. So this yeah. song, this song used to be called Ragtime. Ragtime. Could you imagine that? How David Lee Roth is that of them to do a song about Ragtime? That's the type of song that you do to piss off your guitarist. Not, yeah, but the, the not guitarist co-wrote this yeah. one. Yeah, I mean Ragdoll is such great imagery, it, 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 and it's just so Holly. You know, it's just so that's so Holly. Because Holly always be saying, you know what this song is missing? The impression of an embattled partner. Yeah. Like a ragdoll. It needed yeah. the a balance. Woman. It needed the balance to Steven Tyler's party imagery with a uh, with a girl who also likes to party. Like like she's making a choice to party with Steve Perry. Steve Tyler. Or Steve Tyler. What, what, what kind of tweaks Steve, did she or make? Steve Perry. Joe, Joe Perry. What other tweaks did she make to the song? Uh, basically, so she also tweaked the chorus a little. Uh, I listened to an outtake of Ragtime, which you can find. Tim, you're going to find that on uh, YouTube. But I, I need to send you the link. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm curious to hear that. I, well, yeah, I, I look forward I to it. I sent it to you guys, but we don't look at anything. I know. Um, so basically, uh, her contributions seem to be adding the phrase, phrase hot tramp, you're so fine, hot time. Don't mind. Which like, is most of those top. rhyme. Yeah. And it's also what makes the song. Yeah. So she really did save the song. It's yeah. Steven Tyler doing those chat chat chip chat chat. That's that's what yep. makes the song. Yeah, and she and and Holly says, like, you know, I don't want to take full credit, but as time went on, people came to her and said, You saved this song. Without your changes, this would not have been a hit. So what do you know? I, I gotta be honest, when I read the lyrics to this song. The more, I, like, the more I think about them, the less I know what it's about anymore because the chorus sounds like it's about sex. Like, you know, it's one of those Steven Tyler jive-talking gibberish songs like Walk This Way where you know it's about sex. But none of the verses seem to be about sex or have much relation to the chorus. Like, I don't get what the, the hot tramp who's the ragdoll is doing in the verses. I just hear, like... I hear Steven Tyler complaining about how some like chick doesn't think that his band is is relevant anymore, like they're old and washed up, sort of. And this is the problem with taking a song that's already like 90% there and making a couple tweaks. Like there could you you could be making a disconnect in the totality of yeah, it. You start to while at the same time making it catchier. Yeah. And but that, hey, it worked. Yeah, whatever yeah. whatever the formula is, it worked. I just want to say right off the top, Lemmy has nothing to do with this song, but the bad guy from MacGyver does. Wait, hold, you can't interrupt uh, things right off the top when it's your show. Yes, I can. It's my show. Anyways, Holly Knight and Murdoch, MacGyver's <laughs> arch rival, co-wrote this song, Obsession by Animotion. Hey! Does anybody remember Murdoch? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. I want to talk more about him in a minute, but hey, do you guys remember the 80s? Imagine all your favorites from the 80s on one CD. Oh, A what? CD that sucks your dick. That's how I remember this song from those CD commercials where they, where they sell you the CD that sucks your dick. This song is... I don't remember the CD sucking my dick. You probably didn't buy it. I yeah. did. Got my dick sucked by <laughs> yeah. the CD. There you go. You lost, Steve. Um, this song is so 80s that I wrote a joke about it. Wow! This How song, 80s is it, Dave? This song is couldn't be more 80s even if Ronald Reagan's baby got it trapped in a well with a Rubik's Cube and Gary Coleman. <laughs> what do you think, fellas? Pretty good? Yeah. yeah. The, reed, the reed was a little choppy. Yeah. That's okay. It's because it's a reed. Uh, 
Uh, so, you think I can remember all that gold? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of the 80s, Murdoch, a.k.a. Michael DeBar, and her... Do you say DeBars? I think it's DeBar. DeBar? DeBar. Yeah. I assume the S's are silent. It looks it looks French. Like we were keeping the DeBar low, and we're going <laughs> to raise DeBar, but right now we're at the DeBar. We're at DeBar. Um, <laughs> and later we'll probably at DeBar. be at DeBar, too. The, they actually put out their own version of this song, which is extremely similar, but theirs had a darker undertones as opposed to Animotion's full-on 80s neon blaz, which isn't a word, but I created it, and uh, I'm going to use it anyways. I like it, because it implies flat. Flashy and fancy, but still kind of boring. Blaz. You know? Hashtag Blaz, everyone. Hashtag Blaz. Uh, that version was prominently featured in the trailer to Nine and a Half Weeks and the movie A Night in Heaven, directed by John Abelson, which I've never heard of, so I watched it, and what I could tell was it about how women in the 80s like to watch gay men strip. Hmm. Hmm. I, I read the plot summary. It's about a college professor who has an affair with her hunky student who moonlights as a male stripper, and the guy who played that stripper, Christopher Atkins, won the 1983 Razzie Award for Worst Actor. It's a bad movie. It, and and I would say 60% of it takes place in a male strip club. Yeah, it's like the ma- Magic Mike of the 80s. Ladies still love watching male strippers. Yeah. Hunt, hit another, movies. Another fun fact about this movie's soundtrack, it debuted Heaven by Brian Adams a year and a half before he released it as a single and it hit number one. Yeah. I think that Obsession must be Michael DeBar's personal myth, because there's this song, and then there's the fact that his character Murdoch was obsessed with killing MacGyver. It's, it's such a great character. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's that chess match. Yeah. That's yeah. why he gravitated the, towards Holly Nutt. push and pull. Yeah. That's, uh, you have Michael DeBar constantly going back to MacGyver. Murdoch. Who's going to win? Nobody I didn't, knows. I didn't even watch MacGyver when I was a kid. I only I knew Michael DeBar mostly as the guy who married the legendary groupie uh, Miss Pamela. And she wrote that, uh, that mem- under the name Pamela DeBar, she wrote her uh, her big tell-all memoir, I'm, yeah, with, the yeah, band. I'm with the Band. Yeah, I'm with the Band. Yeah, my 80s. It was kind of a landmark rock book. My wife read that book, and really all it is is sort of a string of stories from old, bored rock and roll guys who incorporate shit into their lovemaking. You mean literally shit? Yeah, yeah, like everybody's pooping because they're so bored of, of uh, humping groupies. They well, I know, I know one uh, guy who likes pooping. Jay fucking Graydon. Jay pooping Graydon. Jay pooping Graydon. I also looked up another fun fact about Michael DeBar. I didn't even look it up. I just kind of found You've it. You've got a lot of facts uh, about Michael DeBar. He's actual British nobility. He is the son of a marquee. Sounds like French nobility to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he seems... You said the Marquis, the Marquis de Bar. That seems <laughs> like it could be part of Murdoch's... Uh, yeah, Murdoch Murdoch's past. Just have a friend um, that drove a Marquis. I have another fun fact about Michael DeBar. Fantastic! Um, he's still making music. He released a, a rock album last year. And uh, in 2012, he released a Christmas song called Rock and Roll Santa, which has the chorus, Santa looks good, Santa lost weight, he's a rock and roll Santa, and he's getting in shape. Yeah, that's you, that really needed Holly Knight on that. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it's one of those songs where they try to reach number one during Christmas in Britain, like Bill Nye. Uh, uh, Bill Nye? Is that no, not the science guy. No, the guy, the actor, the old Nye. Kira uh, uh, Knightley. Bill Nye from Love Actually played this role. Anyway, I've never heard that guy's name pronounced out loud before. Yes, you.
Thanks for these 80s bumpers, by the way. Grant Olson. Did Grant Olson. There's no auto-tune in the 80s. Shut up, Dave. Just kidding. All right, so this is Love Touch by Rod Stewart. How dare you, Hunter? <laughs> this is a Rod Stewart classic with a brushing of Caribbean flavor. Apparently, a terrified Holly Knight was invited to meet with Rod and brought this minus the verse lyrics and the bridge. And he loved it no, no matter. He was like, this is a great, this is going to be a hit. They tried to finish it together, but enjoyed each other's uh, company too much and never did the work. <laughs> I'm with hey, hey, here's my Rod Stewart impression. Ready? Hey, guys, it's me, Rod Stewart, your boss. Uh, Holly Knight wrote me this song about touching pussy. We're recording tomorrow. Oh, and I love touching pussy, so don't forget the steel drum. I think that's how it went. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, but possibly how it could have gone. Uh, is Rod Stewart might have been British. <laughs> <laughs> So Holly, Holly Knight brought in Mike Chapman again to produce, and uh, and Gene Black, which both got a uh, songwriting credit on it. Her uh, Gene Black was her guitarist from Device, and they uh, who helped her with the guitar riff. Uh, they both got writing credit, like I said, and you can hear Holly in the background vocals of this song, and perhaps the trained ear can the trained ear can hear a little Picaro in the background too. Hmm. Spot the Picaro. It's Mike on bass. <laughs> Mike on bass. Yes. Uh, this is a song appeared on the soundtrack to Legal e Eagles, a movie that was made simply on the titular rhyming scheme. But if Ragdoll taught us anything, sometimes all you need is a great title and blast. Well, that certainly explains the video and why Robert Redford was in it and why they were in a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> Makes See? a lot more sense to me now. I'm interested. I'm interested in the in the part at the beginning where you said that she, when she brought Rod Stewart the song, he loved it and loved the lyrics because since then he's kind of done a 180 on it. He he doesn't really perform the song very much. He doesn't. He says he thinks the lyrics are silly, and it could be because there was kind of a bad reaction to it. Like a lot of rock critics I know think that this is the nadir of his career. Like it kind of. It's maybe just not the right fit for his voice. Like, he's got so much grit in it that it, it sounds incongruous for him to be seeing this type of material. I think it was probably because, well, it's probably because this was a reverse Holly Knight technique. And when she usually takes something cute and abstract and turns into a dangerous battle of wits. And in this, she took Rod Stewart's dick and made it into a cute abstract thing like a love touch in the caribbean in the caribbean is and, it carnival and so people probably were like ew when they really listen when, when if you're going to ask a if you're going to ask an all music writer to really put a lot of time into this song eventually they're going to go ew yeah, Rod, Rod Stewart reminds me of like a fuckable Ted Cruz like imagine Ted Cruz with that spiky 70s Rod Stewart mullet and the, the, the mole on his face the same guy Rod Stewart also kind of reminds me of the the old lady puppet in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood of Make-Believe. Yeah, they all have that really good Rick Ocasek hair. Yeah. And I don't think this is Rod Stewart's Nadir. I think that's Forever Young. I don't know if he'd ever listened to that album, but it... Ugh. There's some good stuff on There's that one album, good song, and Forever Young is not one of yeah. them. Yeah. He's currently in his Nadir, guys. Number six. 
Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I really like this song. This wow. is part two weeks 80s in a row. Part two weeks yeah. in a row. Yeah, this, you find that a lot of these writers swim in the same pool. We were kind of talking about that a little earlier. Yeah, that a lot of these sort of 70s rockers needed to sort of change their writing style in the 80s, and so they needed to bring in sort of newer or different writers who were a little more in touch with in touch with the the zeitgeist yeah. of radio yes. and also a lot of these 70s rockers had not written a hit for themselves in, in a while yeah like yeah. they needed outside help to get back in the game i think confidence well i just want to say this is heart with 1985's never um which peaked at uh, number four which is the highest charting song of holly's career and diane warren had eight number one yeah, it's not so. a competition we all can't write for brandy um, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Uh, 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 but what were we talking about? Uh, I think confidence. Confidence has a lot to do with songwriting. I think like, you have to be a confident person in order to, to to put put your music out there. And I think if you haven't had a hit in a while from the '70s, that you probably are low on the songwriting confidence. So you need to bring some people in. Mm-hmm. And this was written with um, Greg Block, who turned out to be Gene Black, the same guitarist from The Vice, and also someone named Connie. Hmm. And hmm. Connie turned Francis? out to be the Wilson sisters. Ah. That, was their, that was the name they wrote under. So. Uh, I like the first line of this song. I think it really sums up Holly Knight nicely, which is, uh, hey, baby, I'm talking to you all tough. You know, that's, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, she's... Holly Knight's narrators have no time for these pussy-ass men. Like, shut up and listen to me. I'm going to talk about how much I like you. And this, uh... This song definitely you get that war imagery, lots of shooting, lots of running away from the fight, and it's a weird song. It took me a long time to listen to it to try to figure out what it means because it kind of has it's not it doesn't have tonal thing, but it uses words that kind of like like never but running away. And I but I after listening to it, I think what it means is like what they say in basketball that you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So if you're afraid and you run away, you're never gonna win. Which is, which is a good art of war type of uh, philosophy. This is a shit or get off the pot kind of love song. Uh, uh, Holly Knight, or like when Diane Warren has a hesitant guy, she reassures him like she's going to take good care of his heart. But Holly Knight makes the dude hold her down and wienerize her. Um, <laughs> it's like, hey, walk it's over here, verb. hold me down, never let me go. It's like that. It's that gentle sadomasochism as I like to do with ladies. Sado. <laughs> the love touch. Are you a sadist? Mm, I'm a sadist. Like the Marquis de Sade? Mm-hmm. Marquis, no, that's the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> um, uh, side question. Has anybody ever invented the term uh, dong bag for a vagina? You know, It'd be a I, terrible thing to no, call it. I, I like dong pocket or dong wallet because it's got that sort of alliteration but of You know, dogs. those would be nicer. Dick yeah. bag has been in the zeitgeist for a long time, and I'm glad you're taking it back yeah, dong, and reversing it. Dong See, bag is I've always heard big bag different. of dicks. You always heard that? Always. Constantly. Always, always. Uh, did I did I mention that I was expressly told not to disparage uh, heart eighties heart to Nancy yeah, Wilson's weird. face when I met yeah, her for coffee? Weird. Oh, did you have coffee with Nancy Wilson? I did. I Oddly also, specific qualifier. I also pitched to Slash once. Oh uh, wow! He didn't wear his hat and he was in sweats and he introduced himself as Saul. I ran into him at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. He was wearing the same outfit. Had his hair pulled back in a ponytail, yep. sweatpants. Mm-hmm. And yep. I just want to say, unlike you, Holly Knight became fast friends with the Wilsons. Did some more songs with them. 
Because rock girls like to yeah. stay together. Nancy and I were polite together, but we did not become friends. I love when heart goes corporate. Yeah, it's so good. Fifty states and fifty podcasts brought to you by JD Riznar's Bob Seeger shirts. I bought too many of them when we put on a live Bob Seeger show, so I'm selling shirts that say, uh, I'm Bob Seeger, buy one today, uh, my family is hungry. Okay. It's so a simple black shirt with simple white type. You're finally dropping that ad. We should yeah. just put on the show again. Well, yeah, we should. Sell more shirts. We should do it in Arizona because that's where we are. Oh! Look, everybody, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot in thought Arizona. I thought it was a dry heat. Uh, this is Cece Peniston's finally. Yeah, my girl Cece. Cece. Cece was born in Phoenix, where she still keeps her home. Uh, she changed the world with her 1992 smash, Finally. America was like, finally, a song about somebody falling in love with someone good-looking who makes them feel good. Oh, that's what we all want. Yeah, it really opened the floodgates to the Phoenix sound. But then nobody <laughs> walked through them. Well, I have a theory that, you know, Phoenix, it's a bad place to have a professional hockey team, but I'm going to speculate that it's an even worse place for house music because there's a lot of old people and it's hot as balls. So dancing in clubs is just going to dehydrate you, right? Is that Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, and then they're going to have to ship the water in from the Great Lakes. Ram. Ram. <laughs> yeah, stop bragging on Arizona. See, you can't... They gave birth to CeCe Peniston. Yeah. It's got a music and entertainment hall of fame on the net, but the website looks like it's from the 90s and contains no one I even want to mention. CeCe Peniston isn't even on it. Oh, That's ridiculous. That's, I, lo oh. I love CeCe Peniston. There's decent artists from uh, Arizona. I mean, Alice Cooper was born in Detroit, but he lived in Arizona. He plays golf kinda, in yeah, Arizona. kind of based there. Yeah. Oh, the meat, the meat Puppets were formed Meat there. Puppets, I saw them yeah, open for Nirvana. Big, I'm a big fan of Meat Puppets. The best stuff on Nirvana Unplugged is from Meat Puppets 2. No, it's, it's yeah, of Lake the, of Fire. And, it's uh, Arizona Gold. Yeah, Pretty also, much all their uh, SST, SST stuff. Captain Beefheart, Dave Mustaine, and uh, George Lynch are all from Arizona. And I, I thought, thought Captain Beefheart was from So. He was born in Glendale. Well, of course, probably Glendale, Arizona. Oh, uh, maybe that's uh, it. I forget, I forget there are two Glendales. It's Look not, at that. Uh, it's not Captain Beefheartian. And That's an Armenian joke because there's a lot of Armenians that live in Glendale, California. Oh, I see what you did. Uh, local jokes get you local work, JD. Hence this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what are we doing here? Uh, I think Bo Diddley's from Arizona, too. Waylon Jennings seems to live there. He definitely died there, according to Wikipedia. Well, I guess he doesn't live there now. Uh, Didn't we just say that Bo Diddley was from New Mexico last episode? Did we? Oh, I think maybe, we did. Maybe I'm just Bo Diddley that. is old, from the Southwest. Old fact-checking lions. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, here's a fun fact. Cece Peniston is Arizona's favorite daughter. She was crowned Miss Black Arizona in 1989. Not sure where Black Arizona is, but I assume it's within the state. <laughs> Very small. And she went on to win Miss Galaxy in 1990, narrowly beating Miss PSR B1257 plus 12C, which is a good planet in joke. the Virgo constellation, also known oh. as Phobator. Planet junk. Yeah, good guy. Uh, also, also the home to mine and Hunter's moms. Mm -hmm. Yep. Arizona. I wish Shout my, out. I wish my parents would move there because your mom's live in fun retirement communities and mm -hmm. uh, it's close. Yeah. 
Come on, Mom and Dad. Get your shit together. Arizona's a place to be. Fun fact about C.C. Peniston's last name. You can misread it as Peniston. And that's Phoenix, is, Ar- that's Phoenix, Arizona's nickname. Penis Town. Yeah. Penis Town, also, USA. I also make a great name for a retirement community. All those old broads are just getting rammed. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the bus. Back on the bus. This was the best day for my mom to visit the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Mary. <laughs> Listening in the studio. Yeah. I'm glad we got a good lead into that so we could talk about your mom being in yeah. here. Welcome. Well, there it is. Tina Turner with Better Be Good to Me. Oh, I caught the foreshadowing you did earlier. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, that other song where you said, You Gotta Be Good to Me. Yeah. You gotta be. You don't remember saying that, do you? I remember saying no. that. No. Yeah. I kind of black out. I kind of black out when I do my intros. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a thing that happens. Probably because you're drunk. Yeah. No. No. It's something my blood does. Your soul goes to Black Arizona. <laughs> too much. I think it's too much. <laughs> too much oxygen in my blood. Anyways, so uh, better be good to me. Uh, it was originally written with Mike Chapman again uh, for Spider, and this was put out. Spider's the Sp- bass player from the Pogues. Spider was banjo player from the Pogues. I do remember talking about this. Uh, this was her uh, Holly Knight's first band yeah. in the beginning, and at the time they had Kiss's manager. Uh, this was uh, their. This was Holly Knight's and Mike Chapman's first attempt at songwriting, and I'd have to say it's pretty good. Um, they both get songwriting credit on it, and Nikki Chin also gets songwriting credit on this. Uh, his, but, his Chapman's old partner from the glam yes, days. Yes, he didn't do anything on this song, but because of those glam days, it was written into uh, Chapman's contract that anything he did, Nicky Chim got it, but he didn't do anything. Uh, this he just song gets a cut. Yeah, they. Uh, the song is like obsession. Uses two chords, but I'm too t- dumb to tell you which ones. I know XLR and extension. Oh, that's two kinds of chords. That's yeah, yeah. good chords. Uh, I think these chords are like one step apart. And you just, you know, it just goes back and forth with that tension building and release. I think that's all they're doing. They're uh, they're A and D, and you can play them open on a bass or a guitar. I'm pretty sure it's XLR and extension. Oh, maybe they're not one step apart. A Spider's version is actually really good. This is a very good version of this song. And if you listen to it, you, you, you will hear that Tina doesn't change it at all. Or change it a little bit. She kind of puts her spin on it, but she doesn't like change up the composition at all. Legend has it that Tina heard this song, jumped right out of her chair, and demanded it be on her next album. And six months later, it was. Uh, apparently, Tina felt this song was the message that she wanted. She doesn't do songs where she's portrayed as a victim and wanted songs about empowerment. Yeah, this is another woman going like, Look at me, you fuckface. You treat me like shit. No more dong bag for you. And I will punch you. (laughs) That's so Holly. Sounds like that. So Holly. This has a it has a little bit of a uh, POW feel to it, like she's kind of trapped and re- and ready to break out of her 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 love, and so uh, you, it's kind of like the Rambo First Blood Part Two of songs, if they gave the Russians another chance. My, my, Are you sure it's not the 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 Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome of songs? No, that was the first one. This, this song sounds all the Tina Turner's '80s songs sound like they were re- recorded in the Thunderdome. They're yeah. all badass. Yeah, we should build a Thunderdome, guys. That how do you build? How do you like, build a Thunderdome? Like a I'll, genre? Uh, like a cage? Or a literal? No, like a literal like Thunderdome. Build a Thunderdome yeah. and record podcasts. I'll uh, I'll bring the thunder. There's probably good acoustics. I'll bring the sauerkraut to help you make the thunder. Oh, it's gonna be a good time. There's probably good acoustics in that Thunderdome. My wife and I have a parody of this song. 
Let's hear it. Oh, really? It goes, uh, cheddar's my favorite cheese. So you, I, I can't sing it over. But it's about cheese. It's great. You should collaborate She's with She's going to do it there. again. She's going to do it again. Here go. Don't shove it down my throat. Don't give me no breathe. That's not the cheese for me. Cheddar's my favorite cheese. We're That's, thinking about going on the parody circuit. You should really collaborate with Tony Zaret. He's got this uh, uh, this uh, parody of uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Breakfast Spaghetti Cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's a really you fun guys. Parody. You guys could do an album called Going Cheesy. <laughs> you get even more specialized than Weird Al with with the food songs. You only do songs about one type of food. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, no, I think we're about to start rocking a little harder because we're at number four. Wow, this song coming up rocks pretty hard already. But we're at we're at your favorite number. I love number four. Number four. Alright. Yeah, this is good. So, uh, Better Be Good to Me was Mike Chapman and Holly Knight's first collaboration together. This is their second. This is Love is a Battlefield. Man, so, you, we have their first two Benefit. songs together, back to back. Yeah, that they... that they, Yeah, and aren't they great? They're pretty they really damn, pretty this damn is, good. So, this is right after Holly left Spider and she moved out to LA to write songs she decided hey I think I have a real good talent at this thing she came out to work with Mike Chapman Pat Benatar called him and said I need a song I need a hit I'm putting out a live album I believe and I and I want I want a, a new song on that to make it a hit he said great I got Holly Knight here she's amazingly talented we'll have it for you at the end of the day and boom End of the day, 90, 99% of the song was written. So I, basically what happened is a rock star called and was like, I need a hit! And they're like, okay, and then they wrote a hit. In a day. <laughs> in a day. No, no, they promised it in a day. Or he said we could do it. She needed it right away. It was well, a live album, yeah. And then they, they did and it. They nailed it. Uh, they, well, they had 99% of the song. It took them two weeks to get the last 1%, which was the line, no promises, no demands. Which is oh, so important. Yeah. So yeah. important. Yeah, they, it, it, that's the amazing thing about how something so simple can make or break a song and that you could get the bulk of it, but you have to like really work on that one thing that'll nail it. Um, but what ended up happening is they took the song that they demoed together, uh, Pat Benatar's producer, and changed the co- changed the production of it a lot more. The only thing that really stayed, the only unique thing that really stayed besides the lyrics and the general melody was the whistling. Yeah, this song has a the production of this song has a nice divorce core sound, like the, those Phil Collins "Take Me Home" drums just kind of rolling and meandering throughout yeah, the little, song. Yeah, little scatter shot. Yeah. You know, this song was originally written to be a ballad. Yeah, I'm glad they did it this yeah, way. Me too. It's more, yeah, there's more tension in this. Well, they they were originally upset with the production because of that blaz. Mm-hmm. She's like and blazed it all over. But after a while, they accepted it because it really uh, made Pat Benatar sound even better. And when you're writing a song for Pat Benatar, the goal is to emphasize her. And so that really did it. Na- yeah. Fucking nailed it. You guys seen the uh, video for this one? Um, it's been a while. Time, she yeah. uh, she leaves home. Her dad's like, get out of here. Don't come back. And she's either working as a stripper or a sex worker. It's kind of unclear. And this uh, real greasy looking dude in a white suit comes up to her. And she's like, no, get away from me. And it turns into this great dance sequence choreographed by the same uh, lady that choreographed Thriller. 
Oh yeah, so they um, pretended to be zombies. Kind of, but it was you could see I, that. I like that, that, that choreographer that, only has one. Yeah, like, it's what? it's the wedge dance where everybody's in a wedge and moves uh, forward doing the oh, same okay. thing, like yeah. in a. Yeah, I remember. Seeing uh, seeing uh, my uh, good friend of the podcast, Gina, and I always mm. wanted to react. Oh, Gina, me, Gina. Yeah, always <laughs> wanted to uh, reenact that at a party, like put a plant in there and then have a whole scene. But now there's flash mobs, so it's not that cool. Yeah, do it. A plant like a house plant? No, like. Uh, oh, Jesus, Steve. Steve. <laughs> Steve's improv. Listen, training that's good work. improv. <laughs> if, if he knew what a plant was, then a plant's a part uh, of an improv I heard, show. I heard plant. Um, okay. Uh, house plant. Okay, uh, this is. Robert plant. This song's another tough look at love. It's a. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to listen. You don't need to. It's just so search it, for the battlefield yeah. references in this. No, kind of hits you right in the it, head. It, it, it's in the it's title. so Holly. It's so Holly. Like there's no huggy kissy relationships in Holly Knight's world. If I were to write this song, it would be like, "Love is a uh, cuddly times." You know, Lo- love is writing cheese parodies together. You know, that yeah. would be my version of this. Song. Yeah. See, I think the subtext of this song is that young people are terrible at relationships. They don't know how to deal with their conflicted feelings about one another. They can't communicate. And they don't know what they want or need. And that's why the chorus starts with the line, We are young. Uh, it's uh, not a glorious thing yeah. in this song. Oh, it's they, a we don't know what the fuck we're doing kind of thing. I think the exact process of this, I mean, not not the subtext behind it, but the exact process of getting the love is a battlefield, where, was that collaboration where you're getting frustrated and you're trying to just get the best thing out of it. And they finally went like, ah, oh, we need this song where it's like, you know, love is just a battlefield. And they went, oh, boom, there it is. Hmm. Songwriting is a battlefield. Oh, well, I got one more. I, we've been talking about this song a long time, but I have a really important thing I want to bring up. And that's that there's no female Pats anymore. Like, Pat Benatar was probably the last one. So yeah, I, I looked this up, and it's just like old stage actresses. Yeah. Rest in peace, new female Pats. Yeah. Another fun fact, my mom had five brothers. Three of them married Pats. Wow. I blame the Pat thing on Julia Sweeney. Blame everything on Julia Sweeney. Oh! Now I thought this would be a a controversial number three. No, we like this song, dude. I know. I got. We fucking like this song. I found out. I thought I was putting my personal preferences over a rocking song. Anyways, this is uh, Foreigner's Lou Graham solo with Just Between You and Me. This is uh, came out in 1989, but crossed over on the charts. It, it peaked at number six, but it's the only song on this list that made it into the 90s. Spanning two decades. <laughs> Spanning two decades. <laughs> a hit for two decades. Yeah. Well, this, is, this song is one of the lost earworms of my youth. Like, maybe maybe some girl I don't remember touched my dong or, like, a, some dude touch my dog. <laughs> some old dude, some creep. It's just burned into my memory. Yeah. Just between you and me. It, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just between oh. you and me. I'm gonna touch every, my dong. Don't pretty tell much your every, mother. Pretty much every song reminds you of your dong. It really does. <laughs> Um, but I haven't really heard this song since, so thanks for uh, getting it out back open. It's a, it's an amazing song. The reason I, I, I mean, besides personally loving it, the reason I put it number three above "Love Is a Battlefield" because "Love Is a Battlefield" is a really iconic song. It's that uh, the the production was changed so much on it that I don't feel it gets full credit, whereas this one does. And this is Lou fucking Graham. Like you mm-hmm. can write a song for Pat Benatar, and she's gonna kill it. You really have to write the fuck out of a song to make it a hit for Lou Graham. Yeah, because he only had two hits outside of Foreigner. This was one, and the other one was Midnight Blue. His vocals are not going to carry the song. No. It's going to have to be. There's going to have to be some deeper meaning to it, and it has to strike a chord with people. And I think this really does. 
But it, it, it also feels like it did get totally lost in the shuffle somehow. Because like, it's Lou Graham. Yeah, because it's not Foreigner, it's Lou Graham. And it wasn't quite big enough to be like an Oh Sherry by Steve Perry kind of thing. Oh, everybody remembers that guy from that band, his big solo hit. Yeah, it's, this chorus. And they and Holly Knight, yeah, what fucking amazing. Holly Knight and, and Lou Grant sat down, they wrote this in one afternoon. How she seems to have a lot of songs that she just busted out yeah, in an afternoon. It's, it's really remarkable. Yeah. More like Holly Day. Holly One Day. Yeah. I'll get it to you tonight. Uh, this is another dark look of love. So Holly. So Holly to <laughs> do this. The best songs uh, in the world, or the best songs about shitty relationships, are usually couched in romantic poetry. So this has this chorus, even when heaven and earth collide tonight. And that sounds very romantic. But what that really means is... Uh, if, even if the world ends, we got to keep it secret that we fight constantly. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use, I mean, you can use the term dark, but I would really use the word real. Like, and which tends, can tend to be dark. It's, this is a really unique song because I think it really captures a long-term relationship gone bad. And because it, it's easy to sing about young love or new relationships because they're overflowing with passion. Right, but that, that, that's the pop music norm, you know? And so dark is just taking it a little more real yeah. when, you, when you're talking about pop music. That's what I mean by dark. It's just, but I'm, I'm saying it's hard to get a, a passionate song out of a long-term relationship. Like, like these are two people who've been together with, they've been with each other for so long that they don't know how to live with the, without the other person. So there's this weird discord, disconnect between like, them. like fear of dependence. Yeah, almost. like we're not happy together, but I don't know what's outside of us. That's even more scary. This is a great fucking song. Uh, I fucking love this song. God damn it, really I love good. this song. God damn it. So, uh, Holly Knight met Canadian lady voice glam rocker Nick Gilder. Uh, once again, through Mike Chapman. He's not a Canadian lady. He's a Canadian lady-voiced guy. Yes. <laughs> He's... <laughs> yeah, uh, for all hey, you at home there. Give me some donuts and a beer, eh? <laughs> I'm Olsen. I'm a hot child in the city. So, yeah, so Chapman produced uh, Gilder's Hot Child in the City, which it, I would say, I would have to say, if people know that song, they have no idea a dude is singing that song. It's No, I, I knew a dude was singing that song. Well, you may, but I'm saying I most... Thought, I thought it was short for Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, so Patty Smith, once again, this is another... Is it Patty Smythe or Patty Smith? That's a good question. It's Smythe. Uh, I saw an interview with her husband, John McEnroe, and he pronounced it Smythe. Okay. I never knew that. Her first husband was a lot cooler. It was Richard Hell. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Um, wow, so, she, wait, she was married to Richard no, Hell that was. And- John McEnroe? Yeah, Richard Hell was first, then she married John oh, McEnroe. She, wow. she was married Richard Hell first? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Two years. Well, at this point, 83 to 85. she was in the band Scandal, and they ne- also needed I don't know if a that's hit. Accurate. They also needed a hit, and so so Gilder and Knight got together, and they made this song. 1984 is The Warrior. I got Nick Gilder and Holly Knight here. Guys, we need a hit by today. And it was so fucking good that Nick Gilder threw a hissy fit and said, I want to keep this for myself. He wasn't going to release it. Hey. Eh? <laughs> I'm gonna keep this for myself, for myself eh? And, uh, which it fucking was, he finally relented. And, uh. Because he finally realized that he was Nick Gilder and there's nothing he's gonna do with a hit song in 1984. So, Patty Smythe has a, has a deeper, vo- relatively deep voice for a woman. A little right? huskier. Yeah, yeah, huskier for her, for the vocals. Could you imagine 
Nick Gilder singing this song. He would not have brought the power to it that Patty Smythe does. And then, and then, because the song wouldn't have been a hit, he had been out all the songwriting royalties. Um, I think Hunter. I think you just like this song because of the part where she says, "Who's the hunter?" And you think, "I'm the hunter, me." Well, to be fair, at this time in 1984, I was known as Doug. That was wow. my name, and it Doug. Wasn't, it wasn't. That, I didn't know that, it, but that makes a lot of sense. It wasn't for years later that I found out my name was actually Hunter. Well, this makes even more <laughs> sense because it planted the seed in your head. You know, she said, "Who's the hunter?" Who is the hunter? And you said, "I'm the hunter. My name is Hunter Douglas. I'm the hunter." Thank you. You want to hear my quick story about that? No. Yes. Well, the quick story, I found out my name was Hunter. I walked into, I think, second grade, and when they called they called for Doug's stare, I refused to answer. I got in trouble, and they called my parents and says, he wants us to call him Hunter. And then my parents were like, well, that's his name. There you go. Boom. It's from this song. It's probably because of this song. Yeah. You know, when you say quick story, it actually is a quick story, not like old, uh, old Hollywood Steve over here. Hollywood Steve tells nice stories. They're great. They're you great get stories. get off of Hollywood Steve's balls. They're great He's stories. He's a great story They're great stories. They're most, just not quick. I mostly just say quick stories so that you'll think it's quick and then not interrupt it. Oh, I get it. Like when people at work say, quick question. Yes. Well, he learned it in improv. <laughs> <laughs> This is a, this is so Holly. It's just another rough love song, but I have no idea what the song means a lot of the times. Like shooting at the walls of heartache. Is that uh, like bag. a dong bag? Yeah. yeah. And then like the shooting is a guy's jism. Hitting all the walls. Hitting all the walls. Number one. Oh boy. I like the way you guys are rustling your. Can I just say this off the top? John Wade is British. And I just want to say, just like Lemmy. I just want to say that this song didn't make it to number one, but fucking today it is in my list because this is one of my favorite fucking songs of all time. This is, and I'm not just saying that. This is a top fiver. This is uh, John Waits with Change from 1982's Ignition, but more importantly, from the greatest soundtrack of all time, 1985's Vision Quest, this is when Loudon Swain proves he can cut weight and still retain the strength and heart to climb the pedboard. Hunter, you get so excited you pronounce his name John Waits. I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you need to stop correcting me all the time. You're going to get tired. You gotta, you gotta make it to the pegboard of clear talking. I can't when I get excited. Um, I realized I made a mistake. Spider was the okay, tin whistle. Let's talk player about John Wait and Change. <laughs> this, this, this song makes me want to climb the pegboard of life. When you listen to it, it's very pragmatic. You hear the term change and you, you think it's just gonna be this generic term of blah, of blast. You hear that soaring guitar riff and you're like, oh, it's changing for the better. No, it's a conflict of inter- internal and external change. It's about being a good person at all times, no matter the situation, and how we tend to focus on fame and fortune, thinking it will change us for good, and it won't. We're always the same on the inside. Yeah, and it's about it's about the work. It's about doing a podcast for the love. It's about 
telling dick jokes with feeling. It's about writing songs that are true to yourself. It's about what's in your heart will always stay the same. So do write at your lowest moments because that will define you at your highest. Wait, are you trying to say that our podcast isn't solid? Listen, we have a solid podcast because we are good podcasters. Yeah, that's true. We got out every morning with an itch in our throat because the air's really got dry. something. We got something to say. Hey, and there's only rolling, one Steve. way to scratch that itch. Podcasting. And you know what? Fuck the haters. We're winners. Yeah. We're going to lube up our fingers yeah. and stick yeah. each one into each other's yeah. buttholes. Yeah. See? What? That's the way the Wait. world works, boys. And the world is tired. But we got what it takes to win. Man, this song is perfect oh, for special speeches. Yeah. It's a good song. We started small, but soon we'll be carrying telephone poles on our shoulders as we run up and down the, the steps of the stadium and the levels of the... That was Suit did that, but he was good too. He was good too. He was great, but we're gonna defeat Suit. It's gonna be glorious. Yeah, we're gonna be. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna get Red Riders in with us. We're gonna put on an awesome soundtrack. Fringe. Yes. Madonna. Amazing. I think Dio's on there. We've gone off the rails. Let me say something nice about John Waite, greatest singer of all time. What up there? He's got this voice that's rough but easy. It's super casual. It's It's like like an arena rock Rod Stewart. Yeah. It's like he's. We'll listen to it again, Hunter. It's almost over. Yes. It's a short song. This is its um, only flaw, but it's so passionate. You just but his, hit hard. his voice sound it's like a it's like a blanket. It's warm and scratchy but cozy. It just makes you feel good. Especially with the this type of song with the driving guitar. It's amazing. Holly, uh, something about Holly Knight. She wrote this solo. So this is the one oh, instance. This is uh, not this a collaboration. This is pure and uncut. This is uncut Holly. Uncut Holly, I like that. Yeah, it's amazing. This, oh God, I love this song so much. I put this on, I feel fucking better about everything. I want to talk about the chorus for a second. We, we, we've all we've all heard the chorus and how awesome it is, but I think, like you were saying, we all wish for money and fame. But I, my take is, he's rolling. At a certain point, it's you get to an again. age. You get to an age where you just hope you can continue to do the things you love doing. Even if money and fame do not appear to be forthcoming yes. at any point. All you kids out there listening. Tell them, Steve. I assume at least two of your listeners are kids. Yes. Listen to your weird old Uncle Steve. If you get to do what you love on a professional basis, your reward is not money or fame, probably, in all likelihood. Your reward is that you get to continue to do that thing, even when your life and your friends and colleagues' lives eventually get too busy to do much of anything else. And that's real talk. And that's the... that's a genre of Holly Knight. And, Sing it! And just like just like most genres, a lot of people work together. Patty Smythe is on the background vocals of this. Pat Benatar's husband produced it. I so think you're uncovering a genre of badass ladies of the 80s. It, yeah, and Holly Knight was at the core of that. It's a great genre. Well, it was a freaking great show, guys. I'm coming off it inspired. What didn't make the list? What did Hunter leave off his list that he was so passionate about? Uh, I would have put Neil Diamond at number 10, maybe a (laughs) punk song at number (laughs) 9. <laughs> Sounds about uh, right. Uh, yeah, just, just to round it out. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to pick Space by Cheap Trick, uh, which is off their much maligned but extremely solid corporate rock album, Lap of Luxury. Uh, it's not the best song on there, but it and everything else there is worth a listen. I think that also was a spider song. should check out that spider. I should. Um, I'm going to pick Invincible by Pat Benatar. It's another badass song uh, singing about uh, badass women. 
And then there's this, the first line is this bloody road remains a mystery. I think that means that men can't figure out what periods are about. And so the songs are like, we're all on our own sharing the world with these idiot men, ladies. Ah, oh, it's a song that doesn't remind you of your own dong. Yeah. I think that was, uh, I think Holly Knight says that that's her favorite song she ever did. So join us next episode as our songwriter series continues with Steve Huey taking a look at a little fella named Desmond Child. That's right. I'm going to break the string of three episodes in a row about women. Sorry, guys. Desmond Child actually wrote his hits as a full-grown man, so never trust a last name. Hunter takes elevators. Dave always tells the truth. And Steve is more of a saturation-y guy than Huey. Yeah. Oh, a little joke. color correction uh, yeah. joke. Yeah. Color correction yeah. Joke. yeah. yeah. Uh, find this week's Holly Knight playlist by following J.D. Risner on Spotify. Visit our show page on feralaudio.com for links uh, and deep research by Tim Malcolm. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow J.D. at J.D. Risner. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Go to YachtRock.com for what will hopefully one day be a useful experience. And thanks to Grant Olson for sending those great bumpers. Thanks, uh, Grant. And responding to me. I, I requested him and he fucking listened. Awesome dude. Hey, hit him up on Twitter at uh, Mr. Grant Olson and check out his band at... Uh, <laughs> Flanta, Flanta Hex. Hex. Flanta Hex with P-H. P-H-L-A-N-T-A-H-E-X. Yeah, that's what you, we do when you send us bumpers. We plug the shit out of your out of your shit for our gigantic yeah, we'll pool plug. of listeners. Yeah. Also go to Holly Knight's, uh, hollyknight.com. All these stories are in her. Are in her she has a great website. And she also has a photography website. She oh. took a class with my wife. Yeah. Thanks to producer Dustin Marshall. He also raked my lawn the other day. I've never seen a fellow like him raking. What a guy. Yeah, especially in the summer. Yeah, and he always wears that beanie. It's got to be hot. Yeah. Shirtless, too. This is something to see. Ooh. Uh, so check out other Feral Audio podcasts like Real Life Sci-Fi with Wade and Willie. Dave and I were just on an episode recently. Yeah. It's worth listening to if you want to hear what we're like when we're off script. Yeah. You guys were off script? Yeah. yeah. <gasps> we were improv Shit. <sighs> Man. A lot of no's that day. <laughs> no. All right. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody.